hey guys how are you yeah i hope you all well i am good too welcome back to my podcast for those who are new my name is sharon mwini i'd like to express my sincere gratitude to each and every one of you who supported me in my previous episode honestly my heart is full of thanksgiving for your love and support i don't even know how to repay you back yeah so in our second episode our title is going to be how much sin is too much for god and just a short recap we talked about boxing god we saw that we're not supposed to box him because he is illimitable and today we are asking is there too much sin for him is there a point where he draws a line let's see what's in there for each and every one of us today I was once a hopeless girl. Today, I am a mouthpiece of hope. What can what can God do? I know you all asking, so why was I hopeless? I mean, what would make such a happy girl like me hopeless? I was hopeless because I believed the lies of the evil one. And the Bible quotes the evil one as the accuser. He uses our past mistakes. To hold us back he gives us shame and guilt to keep pulling us behind so that we're blinded and we're not able to see what god has called us to do so in all those years the hostile voice of condemnation kept telling me you are lost god cannot forgive someone like you but after i gave my life to christ The tender conviction of God's spirit has always been running in my heart. It says, I do not condemn you. Now live your life of sin, confess your sins, be forgiven, and receive my grace. That is in John chapter 8, verse 11. But how much sin is too much for God? So I'll quote a famous writer, and just so you know, I'll be quoting a few others. And these are guys that I have read some of their books and their words totally relate to this topic. So I'll, for now I'm going to quote Ludwig Van. He says, To sing a wrong note is insignificant, but to sing without passion is unforgivable. So is there a line you can cross, a point of no return that declares you is unforgivable? Some of you are philosophical readers and are thinking, yeah, absolutely. There has to be a line. But where would that line be? Uh, probably in your mind you have Hitler, Hitler. Yeah, because Hitler always comes up in these conversations. I mean, surely, a man who kills one person may find forgiveness and redemption. Perhaps even someone who kills six people. But six million? The line must exist somewhere between the six and the six million. And if we argue this is true for Hitler, it's an easy jump to argue it's also true for human traffickers, abortionists, child molesters, and the list can go on. Are there certain people who are beyond redemption? Are there? It's time for theologians to jump in and say, but you see, in Luke 12, 10, Jesus drew a line. He says, anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is the line of unforgiveness, the point of no return. True. But what does it mean to blaspheme? 
the scripture repeatedly teaches the role of the Holy Spirit. It says its role is to draw us into a relationship with God. So if the Holy Spirit tries to draw you into a relationship with God and you say no thank you, then you've blasphemed his spirit. To say no thank you is the spiritual equivalent of giving the Holy Spirit the bad. And I don't mean the bad like a dog. Endlessly rejecting God's saving work is unforgivable. But have you noticed that there's something that is not written in Luke 12:10? It doesn't say that anyone who has killed 6 million people like Hitler will not be forgiven. It does not say that child molesters will not be forgiven. It does not say that if you've had an abortion will not be forgiven. The idea that the worse you sin, the less eligible you are for redemption is a lie, and it cannot stand in the light of Jesus. And if you're brought if you've bought in, into that if you've bought into that life for yourself and for others probably your friends family and enemies i have some really great news for you if you've had a list of things you feel like christ can never forgive things that have caused you to keep judging and judging others and yourself i'd like us to make this prayer together jesus i have lost a list of things i think should be beyond forgiveness But if my list does not match your list, it's time to tear to tear mine down. Sorry, give my eyes to see the world, not as someone who needs your redemption, not only as someone who gives. Oh, sorry, not only as someone who needs your redemption, but as someone who can experience all your redemption. Amen. So it's time to tear down our list and accept God's list. It's time to fit in His story. To make a prayer is not enough. Yet yeah, to make a prayer is a sign of um, a covenant that you're accepting to do this. But how are you going to move on from you making a list? How do you move from a point of living the life of a list? And I would say by erasing imaginary lines. I will quote again a guy called Blanche Du Bois. He says. Deliberate cruelty is not forgivable. It is the one unforgivable thing in my opinion. It is the one thing of which I have never never been guilty. Are there times that someone has approached you to just tell you about the story of forgiveness and in your heart you have felt like you're such a mess and you're like, "We don't know what I have done." Well, no, I don't, but I can guess. Some of you have had an abortion. Some of you have had an affair and your partner is still unaware. Some of you have embezzled. Some of you have neglected and abused your children. And the list goes on and on. And we struggle to forgive ourselves. Surely, a holy God cannot forgive us or love us either. And so we're so desperate to know: Is there any hope? In Luke 7:36 to 50, holds our answer. Jesus is invited to dine with one of the Pharisees named Simon. Jesus is reclined for dinner, propping his weight on one elbow and extending his feet away from the table. Well, this is the way they ate dinner in those days. When a woman enters the story, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Sinful life can be translated as the line crosser. This woman had crossed the line.
so I'm going to quote another guy called Henry. He says, if I'm able to look at the world with the eyes of God's love and discover that God's vision is of an all-giving and forgiving father who does not measure how his love to his children according to how well they behave, then I quickly see that my only true response can be deep gratitude. Uh, imagine this, you and uh, your neighbor work at the same company and then one day you all lose your jobs and you've missed payments on your home and then you call to the bank, come in, let's talk. So you see your neighbor sitting at the reception and you enter because you have been called first. And this guy explains how you have missed your payments and he tells you that you owe him that 5,000 shillings on your loan. And uh, even as you try to defend yourself, he says, um, I'm going to write off the loan. So you skip out of the room past your neighbor and you're like, what a top-notch banker. Your neighbor goes in for her turn and has the same conversation, but her debt is way more than yours. Her debt is 350,000 shillings. Yeah, both of you are grateful. But who's the bigger fan? Your neighbor, right? She's a raving fan. Everywhere she goes, she says, you've got to meet this banker. I mean, she has a story to tell about this banker. And this is the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 7. Um, Simon, Jesus says to his dinner host who is struggling with a sinful woman washing Jesus' feet, which of them will love him more? And Jesus, uh, Simon replies, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt. You have judged correctly, Jesus responds. When Simon tried to defend this woman by her sins, Jesus flipped it around and defined her by his forgiveness. How many sins have been forgiven as our great love has shown? She's a raving fan. The light tells us that the worse our sin, the less eligible we are for redemption. But Jesus tells us that the worse our sin, the more grateful we are for redemption. The more grateful we are for him. Jesus, the more sinful I am, the more grateful I'll be. So what is the reason for Jesus? Where do you think he's in the picture? And I'll quote again another guy. He's called G.K. Chesterson. He says, To love means loving the unlovable. To forgive means pardoning the unpardonable. Faith means believing the unbelievable. And hope means hoping when everything seems hopeless. So if you have heard or seen or have been one of those students in the African schools that are fond of um, being part of the music festivals, drama festivals, or even uh, a basketball team or something, then you will know that the eligibility to take part in all these is linked to school's performance. There is um, a line that once crossed, this guy or this student cannot take part or cannot enter the field. This can follow us in life too. If we believe our behavior is linked to God's ability and willingness to forgive us, we categorize things, sins as major versus minor. So more, minor sinners can experience Christ, but major sinners will not sure. So listen carefully. Sin does not make you ineligible for redemption. Sin is the reason redemption is necessary. Um, it's so funny how the evil one tries to twist lies to look like the truth. He convinces us that our sins cancel the invitation to Christ. But here's the truth. Because of our sins, Christ came for us. Because of our sins, 
Jesus invites us to him. The only question you have to answer is, do you believe you were saved nearly 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem? Yeah, the same way Christ explains to Simon how this woman has been saved because of her faith is the same way we have been saved because of our sins. Here's a prayer we all have or we all should make. Lord, I'm the woman who has come to you in faith and washed you in gratitude. Am I the Pharisee struggling to understand how sinful people can experience you so intimately? Or am I the disciple silenced by the awkwardness of your unconditional acceptance and love of sinners? Thank you that your spirit dwells in me and invites me into your way of doing things. Lead me to your feet, Lord, and use me as an invitation for others to join me there. So clearly, there has there has to be a line. Yeah, there is a line that is blasphemy. It is the line that we cross when we say no thank you to the Holy Spirit. See you next time.